0: We're going to go back to James today, James chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them with me to James chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 1, so when you find it, go ahead and stand with me as we read from God's Word together. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. James writes, What causes quarrels... You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you support it? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, we approach this text this morning. We ask, Lord, that as a congregation, we would be humble before you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly through the words of James to us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. On Friday, I would have paid a good deal of money to just step foot into a boxing ring with the person who decided arbitrarily that that every person on the planet has to stop eating breakfast at 11 o'clock. Now, I don't know who that person is. But I believe that many people ought to be very angry with this person. Well, on Friday morning, I was one of the people that was very upset with this particular person who we do not know their name. The morning up until that point was going very well. We were um, planning to go see some friends that live in Evansville. And so uh, we had packed everybody up. We were headed that direction. and, And Kim, now I've gotten permission to tell this story just in case you're wondering. Kim, all she wanted in life was a good cup of coffee. Most of the time I would echo that. There's nothing like a good cup of coffee. All I wanted was a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. That's all I wanted in life. That's, that's it. That was it. If I could have had that, everything in life would have been secondary. So we wanted what we wanted each individually, but then there was a quarrel that rose among us. She wanted that that liquid comfort of a seasonal pumpkin spice latte. That's what she wanted. And I wanted the satisfaction of having my stomach filled with a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. But in the end, neither of us got what we wanted. Neither of us did. We drove past the Starbucks because I'm actually a very stubborn person, if you don't know that. And we pulled into Chick-fil-A where no one wanted to go. Only to realize that breakfast was over. So in the end, she got a nasty cup of coffee. I'm sorry, Cameron. A nasty cup of coffee from Chick-fil-A that tastes like orange juice. And I got an order of fries. Nobody got what they wanted. We wanted what we wanted, and because we didn't get what we wanted, we got angry about it. Now, this morning, we love each other. We've recovered from this disagreement. But how often is it that our marital discussions are rooted in these silly, inconsequential, unimportant things? The problem seems small and insignificant from the outside, but you know... When you're in the midst of it, oh my goodness, if I don't get a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Oh my heavens, if I don't get a good cup of coffee. I mean, these problems are huge when you're in the middle of it, you know? This is what I want. I want it. Why can't I have it? Why is that? The problems themselves are really small, but when we're in the midst of it, why is it such a big deal? It's because your desires are at war within you. Your passions are at war within you. We want what we want, and when we don't get what we want, we get angry about it. And this morning, James is going to talk about the root of our sin. He's going to talk about the result of our sin and then the recovery from our sin. So let's look together at the first of these. The root of your sin is you. The root of your sin Is you look back with me at the text verses one down to verse three. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Then he gives him the answer. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. And so you murder, you kill, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So no matter where we find ourselves in human history, it always seems that we as human beings, we struggle with the same all things the same kinds of sins the same kinds of desires that plague these people 2000 years ago are the same kinds of things that we struggle with every single day as well james is writing to a people church people who are quarreling with one another Heaven's sakes have we ever heard of such a thing they're upset with one another they're talking about one another they're fighting with one another they can't seem to get along Maybe they're saying things like this. You know, if I could just have another ox, then I could have a, a good harvest like, you know, Theodosius. If I could just have that one more ox. Or uh, why is it that that her house has three rooms and mine only has two rooms? How come she gets the extra room? How is it that my friend, he gets to sit next to the pastor when we, when we have our meal together, but I have to sit down here in the floor? My mother... She hasn't been visited by the elders in a month. Why is it that other people are getting food? Our family is just last on that papyri list. We don't get the things we need. James is saying that the reasons behind the quarreling, they're not just those things. They go much deeper than those things. He says that it's our passions. It's our desires. And he says that those desires, those wants that you have within you, he says that they're doing battle within you. Just you hear that imagery he's using? They did the desire to battle against you. They're warring against you. And it's always easier to blame those poor responses that we have. You know, those knee-jerk reactions when something happens or someone says something to us. It's always easier to blame it on that person rather than to see it as being a part of our own problem. It's easier to blame them than it is to take credit for our own mistakes. But James is pointing us back to the heart. It's the heart. Our hearts are the problem. Our desires are the problem. Now, the word he's using here means simply pleasures. But in the New Testament, every time that it's used, the connotations that it has is that it is a sinful, self-indulgent pleasure. It's the same word that we get the word hedonism from in our English translations. In Jewish literature, in the 4th Maccabees, they said this. In pleasure, there exists even an evil tendency which is the most complex of all the emotions. It in, the, in the soul, it is boastful, covetousness, thirst for honor, rivalry, malice in the body, indiscriminate eating, gluttony, and solitary greed. Our, our desires are at war against us. It's as if our own members of our own body... They're violently trying to, to pierce our souls with the daggers of selfishness, selfish ambition, pride, greed, sexual lust. And every day our bodies are revolting against us, attempting spiritual suicide. They want to kill us, our desires. This is why Peter acknowledges this in his letter. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners... And the exiles to abstain from the passions, the desires of the flesh. Why? Because they wage war against your soul. The struggle that we have against sin doesn't begin on the outside. It begins within. It begins inside of us. It's our inner struggle every single day. It's our battle against our wants and our passions. That's why Paul, in Romans chapter 6, he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He's saying there ought to be something different about your life than those who have not followed Jesus Christ. He says, don't use, your, your, don't use your, your body, the instruments of your body, for unrighteousness sake. Don't do the evil things that you know are against God. Instead, do the righteous things that God has called upon you to do. Why? He says, because you ought to be acting like someone who is no longer dead in their trespasses and sin, but you ought to be acting like someone who has been brought back to life the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we see the progression of desire here. James shows us how our hearts work. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot get what you want, so you fight and you quarrel. Now, one commentator that I read suggested that James is actually talking about some you know, ex-zealots who actually are killing folks in the church. Now, that may be a valid reading of it, but I don't think that it is simply because we're in chapter 4. If James doesn't feel like that's an important thing to bring up in chapter 1, maybe we should question James, right? So if people are literally being, you know, killed in the church, I think he would have been more upfront about it. Hey, stop killing each other. That's an important piece. So I think he's probably using some sort of metaphor here. And I think he's probably talking about what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He said, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. We want the things that we want. And when we don't want, when we don't get what we want, we become angry about it. Now, some of you are probably thinking, listen here, Pastor. You know, I know there's people out there that you know, they blow their top, they get all upset, and they're angry, they have anger problems, but I'm just not one of those people. I don't really get angry. I don't ever shout and scream. I don't slobber and, and punch. I don't do all of those kinds of things that angry people do. I'm not an angry kind of person. You know, I don't... I don't throw dishes at my spouse in the kitchen. That's not the way I operate. Now, the truth is we use a lot of euphemisms when it comes to anger. Here's some, some examples. Maybe you've used these before to refer to your own practices. I was miffed, ticked, annoyed, troubled, passionate, upset, frustrated, stressed, I was just having a hard time. I was irritated, grumpy, heated, maxed out, irked, perturbed, displeased, disapproved, bothered. I was hurt. Hacked, fed up, disgusted, flabbergasted, steamed, peeved, annoyed. We've used those kinds of words. Meaning the same things. So, when you get to work and... You find out that someone's taken your favorite pen. Or they've borrowed your stapler without asking. And you get annoyed. What in the world? Where's my pen? Why? It's because you want what you want and you're not getting what you want. And so as a result, you're angry. When you're driving on 64, which all of us have done, and the traffic slows to That of a pace that a one-legged kangaroo could outrun. You find yourself getting irritated. Irritated. Why? Because you want what you want. And you're not getting what you want. And that is to get down the road. And so what happens? You get angry about it. We get angry when we don't get what we want. Now your anger may look different than other people. Maybe you're the kind of person that you're kind of like a volcano. And so things erupt from you. So there is yelling and there is screaming and there is slamming of doors and cursing, name calling and hitting, throwing of random dishes. Maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're more like a boiling pot of water. It's a slow burn. Something that happens over a length of time. So you're slowly heating up to the boiling point. There's, There's clamming up. There's this, there's frustration that you don't let out, there's bitterness, there's glaring with your eyes and saying lots of things with your eyes, but never with your mouth, and there's huffing and turning away. We get angry about the same old kinds of things. What do you typically get angry about? Probably the normal stuff. We want recognition for something we've done. I took out the trash. Why don't I get some recognition for it? I washed the dishes. Hey, how about nice job? Hey, I did this. I did this. We want recognition for the things that we've done. Peace and quiet. You ever get home and you have this expectation. You desire some peace and quiet, but only to find out that there's projects on the list for you to accomplish before you get peace and quiet. Orders. Cleanliness, respect. You want respect from those you work with. Love, attention, control. These are the kinds of things that we want. And when we don't get them, we become exasperated. But James says that we don't have the things that we want. Why? Because we don't ask God for them. We don't ask God for them. We try to get the things that we want on our own terms. We try to get the things that we want in the way that we want them, when we want them, for our own glory. And if we do ask God, James says, we ask wrongly. We ask from a selfish desire. Have you ever wondered why God hasn't answered a particular prayer that you've offered? Maybe it's because of the way you're, offering, or you're praying it. Maybe it's because of the motivation hidden down deep. Maybe it's because instead of wanting His honor and glory, you're actually wanting your own honor and glory. The root of our sin problem is not outside of us. It's not other people. It's not circumstances. It's our desires that wage war against our souls. And the result of our sin, this idolatry of the heart, is spiritual adultery. The result of your sin is adultery. Look at verse 4. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Listen to how James is addressing these brothers and sisters in Christ. Up until this point in the letter, it's been very affirming, hasn't it? The way that he's addressed them. Chapter one, verse two, what does he say? Count it all joy, my brothers. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my brothers. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. 2-1, my brothers. Two fourteen: what good is it, my brothers? 3-1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Verse 4, chapter 4, you adulterous people. That's quite a change, isn't it? Why is he saying that? He's saying that because of the idol's In their hearts. Because of the quarrels and the fights. It's not because of the quarrels and the fights. It's because of what is happening in their hearts to cause the quarrels and the fights. The fact that we're so focused on ourselves and we want what we want. And when we don't get what we want, we get angry about it. That means we are spiritual fornicators. We're on the street corners of the world offering ourselves to anyone who will pass by so that we can get what we want to get in life. He talks about friendship with the world. How often do we really not think that friendship with the world is really that big of a deal? It's not that big of a deal. Friendship with the world, why is he so serious about it here? What does James mean by friendship? Well, he means something different than we probably mean by friendship. Is he just talking about this kind of casual acquaintance that you have? No. We don't use this word the same way that James does. In fact, we've turned it into a verb where you friend people, right? I'm a friend with, I don't know, 500 people. Do you know how many of them I talk to on a regular basis? I don't know, maybe 15, right? Our understanding of friendship is skewed and different from what the biblical text is talking about. In, in James's day, the idea of friendship was very important. Middle Eastern people, have a different understanding of friendship than we do. It's partly because of their worldview, partly because they have this honor-shame kind of worldview, partly because of their their uh, their desire for community over individualism. Uh, but here in this this text, friendship involves sharing of all things. So if you're a friend of somebody, you share life with them. You live life with them. If your friend needs anything, you give it to them. If they call you up in the middle of the night and say, hey, I need this. You say, hey, I'm your best friend. I'm on my way. I'll be right there. What is mine is yours. Everything that you own, you would give it to them. Everything that you have is theirs. And everything that is theirs is yours. There is this deep, abiding friendship, sharing and James is saying, if you're a friend of the world, meaning if you share your, your purpose with the world, if what is the world's is yours and what is yours is the world's, if you're united in purpose and goals, you share the same desires spiritually and physically with the world, he says, you are an enemy of God. In the book Worldliness by C.J. Mahaney, he quotes Joel Beakey, who says this, He says that the goal of worldly people is to move forward rather than upward, to live horizontally rather than vertically. They seek after outward prosperity rather than holiness. They burst with selfish desires rather than heartfelt supplications. If they do not deny God, they ignore and forget him or else they use him only for their selfish ends. Worldliness is human nature without God friends when you look at what that just said i know it's behind me is that what your life looks like a lot of times where you're focused on moving forward in your purposes your plans your goals instead of moving upward instead of focusing on christ and his plan you you live for the horizontal relationships rather than the vertical relationships You're looking for outward prosperity, whether that's in education, whether that's in money, whether that's your 401k. You're living for the now rather than living for holiness, bursting with selfish desire instead of prayer, forgetting God, focusing on your own selfish ends. Friendship with the world, he says, is enmity with God. And that's why it's so important for us to understand verse five. Look what it says. He says, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he, God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? What James is saying here should take us back to the way he addressed them just a couple of verses earlier. He says they're adulterers. They're adulterers. Like a husband, God is like a husband bursting through the locked door of a hotel room searching for his unfaithful wife. He is looking for him. He's looking for us. God is jealous for us. He is wanting to search out and to bring back his wayward spouse. Moses, recording the words of the Lord at Sinai, says, You shall not bow down to idols to serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. The prophet Joel writes in chapter 2 of his book, the Lord became jealous for his land and he had pity on his people. Friends, we are wayward so many times. Unfaithful so very often. We, like the nation of Israel, offer ourselves to the idols of the world every day like prostitutes who have been rescued from the sex trade but can't seem to break the habit. He's jealous for you. He wants you. He desires to bring you back to himself like a husband. And so what does he do? Well, look at the next verse. He says, so he gives us more grace. The recovery from your sin is not based upon you. The recovery from your sin is powered By the Holy Spirit of God. The recovery from your sin is grace. Look at verse 7. He says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now notice the method of recovery from spiritual adultery to spiritual faithfulness. The first thing he mentions is submit to God. Submit yourself to God. Kill that awful pride that rears its ugly head. We want what we want. And when we don't get what we want, what happens? We get angry. But instead, want what God wants. Submit yourselves to God. Resist temptation, he says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Remind yourself of the gospel every single day. Have people around you that will remind you of the gospel every single day. Memorize scripture and pray when you're in the heat of temptation. Resist temptation. Next, draw near to God. Friends, you can't have a relationship with someone that you never spend time with. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Spend regular time with the Lord every day. Share in the word. and Prayer. Confess your sins. This is what he says. Cleanse your hands. Purify yourselves. Confess your sins. Don't go a day without confessing your sins. Oftentimes our hearts, and I know mine is prone to this, it becomes hardened after you don't confess your sins. If we don't pour the water of confession on the grounds of our heart, they will become hard and impenetrable. Mourn over your sin. Mourn over your sin. I feel like so often we don't do that. We think oftentimes that our sin is not that big of a deal. But the fact is, our sin is a huge deal. The Son of God. The Holy One of God had to come from heaven to earth and die because of your lie, because of your bad attitude, because of your bitterness, because of your gossip, because of your looking at porn, because of your hatred of your brother, because of your fight with your wife. Jesus died for that. Mourn over your sin. Hate your sin like God hates your sin. Don't laugh at your sin. Don't find joy in what God detests, but mourn the fact that you have spent the night in the arms of another person besides God. Mourn over your spiritual adultery. Humble yourself before God. The truth is He longs to heal you. He longs to pull you back. He longs to purify you. So I ask you this morning, what desires are tempting to To kill you today. What desires are attempting. To murder you. Even as you sit in these pews. How have you committed. spiritual adultery this week. There can be recovery from your sin. God is jealous for you. God wants you. God desires to bring you back. God wants you to be faithful. So he gives you grace. Upon grace, upon grace. He's promised in his word in Isaiah chapter 1. He says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. So come to him today. He is jealous for you. Put away the lovers. Crush the idols. Kill the the desires that turn you away from Him, and come to Him this morning. Let's pray, Father. I confess to You that I, I often worship at the feet of idols. Idols of selfishness. Self-promotion. Pride and arrogance. Envy, greed, lust. Father, you are the one who is able to squash this squirming flesh. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring about healing and conviction that you would build each and every one of us here this morning. Lord, that we would not simply think that the idol of our anger is the issue that's at stake here this morning, but that it is a heart problem that all of us face on various fronts. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be convicted of not just the fact that we often worship idols, but that The worshiping of idols is the turning away from you. It is spiritual adultery. God, let us submit to you this morning. Resist temptation. Humble ourselves before you. And trust in the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name.